We are in this beautiful series. I'm really enjoying, I like all the things. I know that has lost all its meaning when I say stuff like that. But um, we're in this series we're calling um, A Season of Hope. Three months of talking about all of the reasons we have hope. We've been talking last month about, um, about reconciling the past. What do you do if? What do you do if your past is broken? What do you do if you can't overcome the thing that you've done or has been done to you? Like, wh- where do you find hope in that? This month, we're going to talk all about overcoming in the present. Overcoming in the present. We're going to have three weeks here before three Sundays until the first Sunday of Advent. How many of you started Christmas shopping? I just want to see who the keeners are. Yeah, that's, what I, that's who I expected it to be. Yeah, okay. Off campus, if you want to raise your hand, Caitlin raised her hand. She's online with you today. She already raised her hand. So if you're with Caitlin, you've started Christmas shopping. Um, she be, you're in good company there off campus. Uh, and so we, we are going to start for just three weeks in November here. We're going to talk about how to overcome in the present. And I'm calling every message winning with something. <laughs> Because winning is fun and losing is less fun. Am I right or am I right? I know. We have talked about this before. You probably know this about me. If you're new, then you're going to find out right now. But um, I got to tell you that, I, 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 like, it is what it is. Playing to win is fun. Playing for just the sake of playing is less fun. That's just the truth. <laughs> and that's, oh, that's cool if that's not you. I'm just telling you what's true. If it's, you know, if it's not true for you, it doesn't make it less true. Um, I don't care whether we're talking about ping pong or Uno or street hockey or 21. Winning is fun, losing is less fun, but playing without keeping score is even less fun than that. <laughs> I would literally rather lose than play without keeping score. Right? Is anybody with me here? Let's go. Let's go. It's worrying. I don't mind losing. I just want to, I want that game to mean something. That's all I'm saying. And that's, I mean, I would rather lose than play with no goal in mind. Does that just give you an insight into me? <laughs> it scares you just a little bit. But I also think, like, while some of you are like, oh, it's just, it's just Candyland with your kids. Why are you so intense? Because <laughs> it's more fun. But I also think, I mean, those things, you're, I know those things don't really matter. I, I really do. But I also think that's how we're wired. I actually have talked about this before, I know, but... Maybe you don't like competitive games because you don't like the stress of being in competition. I, I know. One of my kids is like this. It's just like, I don't need the stress. I don't need the stress in my life. Well, whenever we play, like, she now refuses to, do, to play, um, what's the one with the train tracks? Ticket to Ride. She refuses to play Ticket to Ride because when you know when you're, when you're playing with a group and, then, and you have an idea what you're going to do next and then somebody wrecks it? And you're waiting the whole time of everybody's turn until your next thing. And it's like, they're going to they're gonna take, take my track. It's too stressful. I get it. I get it. It's okay. I, I, I actually respect that. Sometimes the stress isn't fun for you. Or some of you just, you just don't want other people to feel bad. Like, I don't want you to feel bad if you lose. Like, so I don't feel that way. But um, I, know that some of, I know some of you do, and I respect it. Um, you just think that somebody else feeling bad is not worth the risk for the game. Respect, Okay. Um, my, my nephew was being, one of my nephews was, was being taught this principle, uh, was really struggling when he was little to, to get over, like, when you lose at memory or something like that. And he, and he would be like, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, but it, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, good. You just keep, you keep telling yourself that, buddy. Good, good. That's good. And he's right, mostly, when it comes to that game. 
But I will tell you the reason I, I talk about this a lot is because it, like, we're talking about, I'm going to talk about winning for real in the next, the next three weeks. Because uh, in life, the truth of the matter is we are not built to aim to lose. I know we do lose and it doesn't really matter in some things. But we are not built to lose long term. We're not built to aim to lose, like set ourselves up for failure. We just don't do that kind of thing. Um, we're wired to succeed. We want to win. We like to improve things. We like to innovate. And so you may not feel that way about your jump shot or your chess strategy or something like that, but I'm betting that you do feel that way about your future and your family and your job and your hobbies or whatever else is important to you. Like no one gets married expecting divorce. And no one has kids expecting estrangement from their kids. Like you don't set your, you don't expect failure and you don't, you don't try to fail at these things in your life. No one takes a job expecting to be inadequate and get fired. Yeah. If you do, like, maybe like, there's, I know some good counselors you can talk to. Like, why would you do that? Like, why would you set yourself up for failure? No one, even, even in the small things, like, no one learns how to crochet and it tries to learn how to crochet and expects to never finish a row successfully. If you're going to try something, to do something, you're going to try so that you can actually do it. That's how we're wired. So what is the difference between winners and losers? What causes success and what causes failure? And the truth is I have literally no idea. In some things, in the crochet, crochet thing, I don't know because I've, I've, been try, I've tried that and I literally didn't finish a row. So I gave up. I said, I don't, I don't want to set myself up for failure. That's, I, I'm not crafty and I embrace that and that's how the Lord made me. So don't worry about it, okay? Um, <laughs> sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, but it doesn't even matter. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter. The truth is that there's not a bulletproof way to get that next promotion or to be good enough to sell your crafting on Etsy or whatever. Like there's no one bulletproof way to do some of these things in life. But I will tell you this, this is a season of hope. And I certainly don't believe that we are left grasping in the dark for the next step or that any good or bad in our lives is just simply a matter of luck or chance, or even just simply a matter of your hard work applied to the right things at the right time. We're going to talk about uh, how to win, in quotes, how to win in every day, in every situation, in the things that actually really do matter. And today we're going to focus on a gift, one of incredible, immeasurable value that gives us every reason to hope that we literally will be able to win in everything in our lives that truly matters. That's a big promise, huh? And everybody's like, whoa, that's a big promise to live up to. Let's try it. Okay, let's turn to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 4. If you are with us, um, uh, you can use your YouVersion app and go to more and then events and you'll find this week's scriptures loaded up there for you already. There's also Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. If, uh, sorry, chair racks. There's not really pews in here. Chair If you don't have a Bible and you're grabbing one from the seat rack in front, you can just keep it, by the way, be free. But if not, you can just use it for this week. I'm going to read a story that is extremely precious in Scripture. All Scripture is precious, I know. But this one is really special because the only way that this story got written down, and it's in all three synoptic Gospels, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the only way that this, this story would have been recorded is if Jesus himself told it. So it wasn't even uh, just an eyewitness story, something that happened. Jesus himself would have had to come out of this scenario and told his disciples what had happened, and then it got written down. So it's fairly precious because it would have come from Jesus' lips and his very own self. First 13 verses of Luke chapter 4. 
Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Maybe you've heard this story before. Like I said, it's, it's a pretty cool one because Jesus himself was the only witness to it and would have come out of the wilderness and told his disciples so that it could be written down. And here it is, uh, here, here's the context here. Jesus is just about to start his three years of, of ministry on earth. Um, and he, he's probably about 30 years old when this happens. And he's about to launch into something new for him. And, and of course, as we know, we just celebrated something that's going to change the world. And so if you flip back one chapter, you'll see in Luke chapter 3 that this is where John, or Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And at the end of that baptism, we're sort of, we, we talk about marking the beginning of Jesus' ministry. God speaks as he comes up out of the water. And God the Father says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Like that's a pretty good start. <laughs> that's a pretty good launch into ministry, Right? And so immediately then it says, look, at, look, how, uh, look how chapter 4 starts. Like, then immediately right after that, Jesus, full of the Spirit, was, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Not because of a bad circumstance he was in. Not because of a consequence of Jesus' bad decision. He was in a wilderness place. It says here very specifically that God himself led Jesus into a place of desolation. In fact, the wilderness that he was led into, uh, they're pretty, scholars are fairly certain, it was called Jeshimon, which means the devastation. It didn't look or feel like a place of blessing or favor. It wasn't a place that you send your child with whom you are well pleased, except that it was. That's exactly where Jesus was sent after the father made that statement to him and about him. And of course, Jesus is physically empty. He was fasting for those 40 days. He was in the wilderness. But verse 1 here tells us that he was full of the Holy Spirit. So he was equipped with what he needed to fight the most important battle that he was going to face in his earthly life so far. And he was going to undeniably win. He had what he needed and it wasn't physical food. And it seems like like, why would God do that? Why would God lead him to, into, a, like, send him into the place of desolation as soon as he's, as soon as all of these other, he's been affirmed as, as the son of God, and he's been affirmed that he's ready to go out 
full of the Spirit and start his ministry. And why this? But it seems like God's plan right from the outset here of Jesus' ministry was that Jesus had to really face the question of what kind of Messiah he was going to be. Jesus went to that desolate place, and in this, in this story that we read here, he's going to wrestle through exactly how he was going to do what he knew he was put on earth to do. And the devil found him in that place of wrestling. And he must have already known, like he must have already known that we don't, we don't really, Jesus never says, but we, he must have had an idea of who he was and what he was supposed to do. He must have had an idea about his incredible power. What it meant to be close to the, hearing the voice of the Father and being able to, to walk in the Spirit, full of the Spirit and do everything that, that he was placed on earth to do. To, to live a sinless life. Like, he must have known. We don't know exactly uh, what, he, what he understood at, at what point, but he must have known. Because if you came up to me and, and were trying to tempt me to turn this uh, communion plate into a loaf of bread, it's not a huge temptation for me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll be like, you're insane. Like, I need to, you need my, maybe need to get some help. Like, I, I, it's not a temptation for me because I knew that's not something that I could ever do, right? But this is, these are real things. These are real things. And so, obviously, there's an awareness in, in Jesus of, at this point, exactly what's ahead of him. Or a really good idea. And he understood the power that he was carrying with him in, in some way, shape, or form. And the thing is that he had just been affirmed, like I said, as the son of God by the father himself in the previous chapter at the baptism. And so just really take a look at, at the form that the first temptation comes in. What does it say? What, is, what does the devil say to him? If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. And what did God just say to him? You are my son. And what's the first thing the devil says to Jesus? Okay. If you really are the son of God, are you really who you think you are? You know, you think you have a picture now of what you're here on earth to do, who you are, that you are, you were born a virgin, that you are the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for, that you are fully man, fully God, that you are going to be going to the cross, you're going to be paying for everyone's sins. You think you have a picture of that. You think you know what's going on. Are you really who you think you are? Are you sure? Okay. Will you prove it? I mean, and honestly, what's wrong with that? Like, why shouldn't he respond with a show of strength? Yeah, I am. I know who my father is. Turn this rock into a, uh, turn this stone into a loaf of bread. Why couldn't he just do that and be like, yeah, I know who my dad is. What? Back up, Satan. That's probably what I would have done, which is why I was not, this is not me. This is Jesus. He's so much better than me. Because Jesus was, was needing now in this moment to begin his ministry with the end in mind. And he was going to establish what he was going to do. He was going to establish the methods with which he was going to do it. How he was going to win people to God. What kind of a Messiah was he going to be? Was he going to walk in the will of the Father or was he going to try to do it his own way? And Bible scholars see a lot of nuance in the meaning of these three temptations. They're really interesting to study. But they all do pretty much agree on one main point. That the real question here in these temptations was, uh, was whether or not Jesus would reject power and glory for now and accept suffering on the cross, knowing what it would produce in the future. That was the question he needed to answer. Because of what he chose, by the way, I think you've maybe already figured out, because of what he chose, we are standing here today. 
And because of what he chose, we have the same tools and the same victory for our lives as Jesus uses himself. So temptation one, as we've said, is the stones to bread. And maybe you want to break this down and say, um, it was sort of like saying, why don't you bribe the people to follow you? Give everybody what they want. You have the power to do it. Just give the people what they want. Give them miracle after miracle. I mean, obviously he did a ton of miracles, and in fact, he did make bread multiply. But Jesus responds to him basically by saying, people are not going to find life in material things. They're just not. And here's something really interesting, a little rabbit trail that I found, that I found fascinating. I, I didn't know until I was studying for this message, that... Um, so in the Old Testament, Israel is referred to a couple of times as God's firstborn, the nation of Israel, as God's firstborn son. And here, Jesus is called the son of God, right? So Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness may, in fact, and probably does, have a direct reference to the fact that what the Israelites couldn't do or wouldn't do when they wandered the desert for 40 years, Jesus would use as his first victory over the devil, they didn't trust God for what they needed. They rebelled and tried to do it their own way over and over and over again. They looked, they, they, every time that they had a need or a want, they would cry out and say, what have you done to us? And so instead, Jesus, in, that, in a very similar situation, is saying, I'm going to show you a better way. I'm going to do the thing that you were unable to do. And in fact, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, is what Jesus is quoting. He's quoting the end of verse 3. Uh, when he's tempted, but I want you to hear in context now that you know this thing about the Israelites being called the Son of God and as, as a people group, um, like the children of God, and, uh, and the 40 days in the wilderness and what it was intended to produce for them, and now the fact that Jesus is 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days in the wilderness for Jesus now and what he is responding. Listen to it in context, verses 2 and 3 of Deuteronomy 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, and this is the quote Jesus uses, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's interesting, eh? Jesus is going to redeem the Israelite story. He's going to do it in the right way, in obedience and he points to scripture. The second temptation is like, I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the world. You just got to compromise. You want to worship me. Compromise with me a little bit, and people will follow you. People will follow you. I'll, I, I'm going to give you authority for that. And Jesus responds and says, listen, there can't be any compromise in this, in this war on evil. There's no compromising with the devil. There's no, I'll give you, a, I'll, I'll just do a little bit over here, and, and the rest of it will be fine. It's just, it's not real. It's, it doesn't work. And you, you read this in verses 5 to 8, but you can understand that where Jesus is coming from, put yourself in his context because Jesus saw in this temptation a possibility of setting up a kingdom that would be mightier than Rome. We're getting into the Christmas season. We talk a lot at Christmas about the oppression of the Romans and why the people were crying out for a Messiah, for a Savior to come and rescue them from that oppression. And he would have seen that 
with that kind of power, he could set up in that moment a kingdom that was mightier than Rome. And it would feel so legitimate to him because of all of the oppression that his people had been under in the Roman Empire for such a long time. How much they were suffering, how poor they were, how taxed they were, um, and how, how controlled they were as a people. And they knew that wasn't their destiny. And in this temptation, Satan is saying to him, everyone would belong to you, and that's your ultimate goal, isn't it? And here's a shortcut to get there. Except that worshiping the devil would have been a sin and would have disqualified him from actually fulfilling the reason he came. But he had to have the long view. He had to know what the long view was in order to say no to the moment he was in. Temptation three, go up onto the temple, kind of like, Go do something sensational for the people and they will be amazed and they will follow you. And Jesus says, amazement fades. I'm not going to do a senseless experiment with the power of God. I'm not going to test God like that. That's not, that's not something that we are called to do. And essentially, he's saying, I'm not going to commit the same sin as the Israelites did in the desert over and over again, putting God to the test. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to redeem that story. I'm not going to do it. I can see the end. Jesus doesn't uh, win these battles, these temptations, because of his superior arguing skills or knowing it all or having the right rebuttals. He does it because he simply knows and humbly uses what? The word. And th this third temptation, if you noticed, it's a little tricky because two times Jesus says no, and he uses scripture to say why he's saying no, and he's standing firm on it. And the third time, the devil uses scripture to tempt him. And Jesus again responds with more scripture. So it's sort of like this. Temptation one, the Bible has a better answer. Temptation two, the Bible has a better answer. Temptation three, you need to read the Bible in context and find its governing principles because it has a better answer, right? You know what I'm saying? So this is sort of what you're reading here. So by the way, did you notice, I don't know if you're, if you're, if you're like, um, get a little distracted, that's cool, I'm not, I'm not offended, but did you like, if you're in the YouVersion app, did you hit the little like annotations where there was this, the quotations, you're like, where's that found? Where's that found? Where's that found? Or maybe in your Bible you looked at like the little, like where, like the little, like where that's quoted from. Did you notice that all three scriptures that Jesus quoted were from where? Deuteronomy. So don't you tell me that the Pentateuch is boring, guys. If it works for Jesus to set up his ministry and to show us who he's made of as a Messiah, the Deuteronomy's got something for you too. Just one. I'm just saying. That has nothing to do with my message. I'm just going to throw that out there. So Jesus walks out of the desert 40 days later, and he's ready to overcome Satan in the lives of the people he meets and ultimately on the cross. He has the authority to recognize the work of the devil. He has the authority to deal with it accordingly. And then he does it over and over and over again for three years in his ministry before he makes the sacrifice on the cross for us. The perfect sacrifice because he walked out in perfect obedience to the will of the Father. hungry and empty and burdened by the knowledge of what needed to be accomplished. The devil found Jesus when he was incredibly vulnerable. But Jesus had what he needed to win. He was full of the spirit and he knew the word. And that's great for Jesus because, well, he's Jesus. But you might ask yourself, so what hope do I have? 
so much hope. If you want to look at my notes, it literally says so, period, much, period, hope, period. Because why? Because friends, if you have made a decision to follow Christ and you have given him your life, you put your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross and you've been forgiven of your sins, you have this Holy Spirit living in you. And I'll tell you something cool, that's the same Holy Spirit we're talking about here in this passage. And you have the word. A lot of you are holding it digitally in your hand right now. What a cool time to be a part of this. Hey, uh, do you guys have the version app and you have the home screen? Did you see, can you see the ticker? Is, is yours updated to that ticker? They've almost, there's almost, is it a, half a billion people? They're just about at half a billion people who have downloaded the Bible app. Isn't that incredible? And it's okay if you're not a technology person or you just are like, I don't like to read the Bible digitally. That's no problem. I've got no judgment. There's a literally one right in the pew rack in front of you, right? Like you, we have such access to the word of God. And no, you're not Jesus, but like him, you can look at every part of your life and you can begin with the end in mind. From your marriage, to your kids, to your job, to your health, to, the, to your dreams, you have the ability to pursue the right things, the right way, with the wisdom and strength that you need to walk it out every day. And that, friends, is what I call winning. And it's slightly better than winning against your five-year-old at Candyland. Like, okay, it's a lot better. It's a lot better. You can win like this every day because if you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit, like I said, the same one that Jesus was full of, lives in you. That's all over the scriptures. I don't even have time to show you all the places in scripture that, that it says that about us. We know this is true. And if you are sitting in this room or you have basic access to the internet, which off campus you clearly do, the, you have the word in your hand. All the time, it's accessible to you. And so I'm going to tell you that there is even more for you in Christ than this, but these two things are the pillars of your faith. The Spirit leads and guides and convicts and reveals Jesus and reminds you about the things that he said. And he opens your heart and your mind to the Word. And as you open the Word, the Word reveals your heart and, and the heart of God, your character, the character of God, the plan of God, the plan for your life. It points to Jesus. It teaches us. It rebukes us. When's the last time you had a good rebuke, friends? Some of us need to be slapped straight, we've been learning in the last few weeks here. We just sometimes need to hear what's true and be set on the right path. The Word does that. It corrects us. It trains us. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. It gives wisdom over and over again. And here's the warning. I read this in, in some of my study, and I just, like, there was no real good place for it. I'm just going to, I'm going to offer this as a warning because I thought it was important. Jesus was physically empty in the desert, but he was full of the Spirit, and he was full of the Word. Our own experience is usually the reverse. Usually we're physically full of everything we could ever possibly need. Food, clothes, house, job, security, whatever, all the security that we can create, especially in our affluent North American culture. So often we come at our lives empty of the things that really matter, the spirit of God and the word. And this is a big theme in our church. It's never going to stop being a big theme in our church, talking about how important the word is in our lives. Um, I'm dropping this message into this season of hope. 
It'll just, it's gonna keep coming up. So if that's annoying to you, that's fair, but it shouldn't be because it's like really, really important. I'm dropping this message here intentionally because when we talk about a season of hope, we talk about having a life that overcomes, we have to know that we have the voice of God himself right here in our hands and we can't emphasize that enough. So what do you need in your life? What battle do you have in your mind today? What struggle or obstacle is very present in your circumstance? It's gonna be different across this room. Off campus, it's gonna be different for you. I will say this to you with full confidence though, God speaks. So I'm gonna invite Robin, whoever's doing that song with you. <laughs> Forget how it all landed. Um, sometimes it sounds different in rehearsal than in real life, so I'm gonna leave it to you guys to do what you're gonna do. I wanna give you some examples of how this works, okay? I've, um, I put it out in the email devotional. This is gonna be true for the next few weeks here in November for different things. Because I know that you're sitting and listening to me and I'm presenting material to you. But this, the church is not built for you to just listen to me and then go, like, we're, we're, we're working together to really dig together into how to grow spiritually, how to share our faith, how to impact the world for Christ. And so um, I asked you guys to share scriptures that have spoken to you. And I, want, I, I wanted to, to just give an, I could have done an open mic too, but I wanted to give you a chance to think about it. And so we've got a few, I had a few of them come in. Um, and pastors Aaron and Ethan are going to come and read some of them to you um, at the end of this song. I want you to hear the application of how this works in your everyday life. That when you uh, are in the word and you make Bible reading a part of your life and you're listening for his voice, that God speaks. That these things really do work and help you to win in everything that matters in your life. So I want you to hear these things, and then I'm going to come back to you just as we're closing with, a, a, with some questions about what we're willing to commit to as followers of Christ in these two areas. But Rob, would you share this song? I, this is just a song that we both had on our hearts for this for obvious reasons. And then when they're done, Aaron and Ethan are going to come, and uh, they're going to share what you guys responded about scriptures that have spoken specifically to people in our church. And, uh, and then I'm going to come and close after that. Go ahead, guys. chapter 7 verses 8 and 9. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. And then Frank shared this. I prayed for guidance this week while engaged in negotiations in a professional capacity. These verses reminded me that anger and pride are not behaviors encouraged by God. Remembering that God knows the end of our struggles keeps me focused on how I want to remember my conduct days, weeks, and years after a conflict or struggle. I want to look back and know I listened and trusted God. It is unbelievable how much I needed this guidance and how well it worked. This is from Nicole, Mark 10, 27. With God, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Possible. 
This is what she wrote. What struck me the most was the reminder yet again that on my own, it is impossible every single time. This verse does not give me the magic ticket to have all my prayers answered and all my stresses and frustrations eliminated, but it does fill me with confidence that anything that comes our way with God, we will be able to get through it. This next one is from Arlene. Psalm chapter 32, verse 7. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. She says, many times this verse has calmed me as I remembered to hide my soul in God, knowing he was my protector and deliverer. This verse became extremely helpful when my daughter was going through life-altering surgery. I kept singing these words and felt completely enveloped in God's protection, knowing he would surround my baby girl and protect her in every way, body, soul, and spirit. Eric shared James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And finally, Paula shares from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And she shares, my job can be quite mundane, the same task over and over before long my mind is off in la la land thinking really negative bizarre thoughts i will repeat this over and over in my head thinking about what is pure what is noble and what is true i may have to repeat it all day long but it helps is that your desire church is that your desire because i'll tell you if it is oh he's gonna meet you in that place i want to tell you that of, of those five people who shared those stories I, I don't know all of them super well, but I can pretty much guarantee that they haven't memorized the scripture from front to back and can just pull that out wherever they want. All of us just laugh. Yeah, right, right? As if. So how do people find God speaking in the word? How do they find God speaking into the situations in their lives? I'll tell you the secret is just to be in it every day and be amazed at how God just speaks to the things that you need. Sometimes I have to like, uh, when I was in a real season of waiting and impatience, I literally Googled like scriptures about waiting, <laughs> enter, and then read them and went, oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's just as easy as that. But being in the word every day, and so my question and challenge for you today is what are you willing to commit to in the word? I don't know where you are today. Maybe it's like, oh, yeah, every day I'm in it and I'm in a good place, great. How do you want to keep going? How do you want to stay accountable to that? But also, what are you willing to commit to in the Word? Maybe you've been opening your Bible with us on Sundays and that's the only time you do. I'm so glad that you're here doing that with us. Maybe you can say, this week, this week, I'm going to there's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a reading plan on the YouVersion app and I'm going to open the Scriptures three times on my own. I'm going to commit to that this week. You're going to take that next step. Maybe you're in the Word every day, but the, the, the devotional you're doing is, is like a, more devotional than it is Scripture. And you're like, you know, that's been good. I've been learning, but I want to switch that a little bit. I'm gonna, I want to be more in the Word and, and have less commentary about it just, you know, for this next season. I don't know what, if that would be good for you. Maybe you need to read the Bible front to back for the first time in your life, and it's been really scary. There's a, a Pastor Aaron's been doing that this year. Not that it's been really scary for her. <laughs> She's terrified. Um, 
But she said, you know what was good for her is that there's a Bible plans that's once per month. So you literally start a new plan every month instead of having the year. And there's like a bazillion ways to do this. Like maybe you want to commit to one month of starting a year through the Bible. We're actually probably, we're going to do that as a church in, starting in January, by the way. So um, you can wait till then as well. Maybe you are in the word every day, but you've decided that memorizing scripture is not possible for you. How many feel great at memorizing things? That's a 0% reaction, okay? That's 0%. But the scripture says to hide God's word in our heart. And I'll tell you now, for uh, one and a half years, I have been working to memorize the book of Colossians. I talked about it a year and a half ago. I'm still working on it. And guess what's happening 18 months later? Those scriptures are, like, they can make me cry just thinking about them because they're so deep in my heart. And I'm terrible at it still, but I'm still working at it. And my goal is to have it completely, completely. And now I'm, I've done four, the four chapters. I'm going through and just trying to get better now. And I'm still working on it. And it's super humbling, but it has been one of the best experiences of my life. So maybe for you, that's your next step, is to say, uh, Pastor Aaron's been leading, leading us through scripture memory, a verse at a time, through the months of September, October, and now November. Jump in small. Jump in where you are and say, I'm, I'm in the word, but I'm going to now tuck it into my heart for whatever. What are you willing to commit to so that this word speaks to you every day? What's your next step? I don't know what that is for you, but I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking what he wants next for you. And the other, uh, the other challenge I want to offer you today is, will you listen for his voice? What will you stop and wait for him to speak to? What do you need in your life that you want wisdom for or you need God's guidance for or whatever it is? Are you willing to stop and read and pray and listen for the voice of the Spirit to guide you? Are you willing to commit to stopping and praying, to spending time waiting and listening to the Lord over those things? What are you willing to stop and wait for Him to speak to? So take those challenges as the Spirit would reveal them to you as he has been to me, looking at the life of Jesus and how the tools that he used to win every day of his ministry are available to us right now and every single day of our lives. Let's stand together. So Lord Jesus, we offer our hearts to you with fresh commitments from the Holy Spirit. I believe, Lord, that Every person is is being challenged in the way that they need to be, either from whatever step, whatever stage, whatever place that they are. But what we really know and believe is that word of God, the word of God speaks. Jesus, you are the word of God and you speak through the power of the spirit. And what we want more than anything in our lives is not more social media or more newsreels. What we don't need is more advice. What we really need is to hear from you. And so we commit ourselves now in the presence of others and say, Lord, the thing that you're calling me to, I will step into and I will continue after and I will be obedient to to commit to being in the word and to commit to hearing and, and searching for and expectantly waiting to hear your voice. So we commit to those things together and we thank you that we can be full of faith that you will answer us and you will speak and that you are present. Thank you for the Thank you for these scriptures, Jesus.
thank you for all of these places that you rebuke and correct and train and teach. That you've revealed your character in your heart. That you're showing us who Jesus is. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just, we just are so grateful to have your words in our hands every day. And we ask that you would, uh, you would make it come alive to us by the power of the Spirit as we engage with it. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Be blessed, everyone. We'll see you again for another message on winning next Sunday. We'll see you then.